Liberty in America is under assault. We no longer live in a reality that includes property rights. We're no longer the kings of our own castle. We no longer enjoy the true benefits of capitalism. Instead, we're negotiating our rights with our own government. This isn't how our country was founded. These aren't the ideas of our founders. It's time to seize back our country. This is the Liberty Hour, where these important issues will be discussed for the sake of America's future. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Constitution in the other, here's your host, Sean Thompson. This is the Liberty Hour. Each and every Sunday night, this is my show, Macbeth. No Dan Proft or Bruce Wolf to interrupt me today. This is where we discuss and dissect political talking points of both parties designed specifically to seize your liberty. It's a terrestrial think tank for liberty, Macbeth. And I was getting a lot of pushback from both Proft, all the union listeners. Then on uh, two days later on Thursday, Bruce Wolf, mainly because it's just his Tourette's that he interrupts you with. He really doesn't have a point, but I love him. Did you catch any of the shows? No. All right, fair enough. Yeah, one of the nice things about this week is that I didn't have to be here when you were. It was great. <laughs> it was great, and I tell you what, I finally, finally got to, this is the second time I interviewed one Stephen Moore. And we yes. Had, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I was looking forward to interviewing Brett Baer. The first time you interviewed with Stephen Moore, yeah. uh, I got the impression that he didn't really, really enjoy that. No, he didn't like it. He, he seemed to be... He was a little peeved. Uh, I think peeved is a good word. Uh-huh. And then I was supposed to um, do, you know, interview Alan Dershowitz with Bruce Wolf, and I was dying for the Woody Allen joke. <laughs> you know, I was gonna. You know, I thought it would be great. Thought the people would love it. But he heard Bruce Wolf was on, and he canceled again. So we didn't get those interviews, but I enjoyed, I really do. By the way, the morning show to me. Is that true? Alan Dershowitz heard it was Bruce and said no? Uh, that's what I, That's the story I'm going with. We got the excuse he couldn't catch the train. Go figure. Um, but anyway, to uh, me. I got to take that to Bruce. As a caller who was invited to be a host, the morning show to me, you know, I'm not a sports guy, but that's the big game, boy. That, that to me is, is Super Bowl Sunday. I love the morning show. So whenever I'm it's asked. radio works. Whenever I'm asked to fill in, I'm excited, and it is completely different from this show or when I fill in for Joe Walsh, because you you have to go back and forth with with guys, you know, in, or or Amy, whichever one I'm filling in with, and it's a different flow. So you never know how you do, and I you know I get inundated with the tweets. Some people love it, some people hate it, but one of the criticisms that I got um, from from Bruce and Dan, and Dan in particular, he he kind of doesn't like when I constantly beat the drum of that 30,000-foot view of liberty, right? And, and at one point in a discussion, he wants to ask, well, how does it look? How does it look when, when you strip away government intervention in, in immigration or in the economy? And, you know, I didn't get the time there to articulate how it looks. It looks like freedom. It looks like what brought us here. It looks like an economy where we don't have a collectivist view. And one of the things that I enjoyed... You know, it was, it was terrible. The eight years of, of Obama, we knew where it was going. We knew about the socialism. We knew about the, the collectivist view of the small few theocrats uh, in, in Washington making decisions over each and every one of our lives. I love the fact that so many people were rallying against that, were raging against socialism. 
one of the fears I had is that socialism would still hide, would still be cloaked by a Democrat party. And, and one of the nice things is it isn't anymore. They are open and notorious in their socialism. They are open and notorious in their, their pushback against liberty and freedom. And you saw it this week with Flager. By the way, I, I, I was at a, you know, I had a family party today, McBah, Sunday. My, you little, mentioned, my yeah. little girl was, uh, we were celebrating her birthday. And um, I have, one of the things when you have in-laws, you love them. And the beauty of my in-laws, I love all of them. I really do. You know, 23 years I've been with uh, my wife, and she uh, looks real happy about it. But anyway. Did you forget her name then? <laughs> um, we had a party, and, and, and one of the things is they were a strong union party. My father-in-law was in the upper echelon of union, and my sister-in-laws, and they're all very pro-union. I love those discussions, because really it's been practice for the show. But I had a relative uh, of my wife's go to the flagger thing today. Or not today, yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. Yesterday, and talk about how, you know, it was great and all this stuff. And I, I kept asking, well, what was the goal? Yeah, what did you do? And at one point, she actually lifted the fist up and said, power to the people, the old communist stomping ground. I mean, if you listen to them articulate what was the goal, they don't have one. They really don't have a vision. We just want to make it safer. For, for, well, well, we're not making it unsafe. The rest of, of, of Chicagoland... The suburbs, we're not making the south side of Chicago unsafe. This is factions of a drug war. Yes, you are. Your privilege is bleeding. Well, that's what it got to. I found out from, this is from somebody who knows me, 23 years knows my personal story. It's one thing when, you know, I get the morphodites from Mundelein that call in sure. for brewing. They, you know, they don't know, you know, from Shinola. They don't know anything. But um, it's, it's when you hear your own people who know you for this many years, and you realize at that moment, this is about... This tribalism that we speak of isn't just about people who fought for capitalism and for liberty during the Obama years being deceived by national populism and protectionism. That's, that's aside from this. What you have is this faction among us that are so self-loathing, so willing to be servants and slaves to a collective few. They demonize their own that they know and that they love. And this is the thing to be worried about. In our current climate, it's not necessarily anymore socialists against capitalists. We, we lost the right to have that, to say we stand for that when we wrap our arms around protectionism and Trumponomics and facade numbers. We don't have that right anymore to say, ah, we're different. What we're really saying is we believe in the same foolish socialism you do. We just want to manage it a little differently. We want to put the pressure points differently. But when you have this, this undercurrent, of bald face collectivism where these people think you're white, you don't get to talk about the problems in the south side of Chicago. That's just one little spear tip. That's a look at the tip of the iceberg of what the real intention is. And what that real atten- intention is, and as you hear all, the, all of the references to, to uh, Nazism and to Hitler, I mean, right? That's what you hear. And I laugh every time I hear a Democrat socialist call a Republican protectionist, a Nazi. When the reality is the Democrat socialist was the Nazi. Literally. They literally were. They identified as Democrat socialists. And my problem, Macbeth, that I see and that I hear throughout the callers and that I, I, I even I explore in this Stephen Moore interview where I'm asking who used to be a, a, an expert in Austrian economics about this collectivist vision where these guys in Washington tinker. And, and, and four guys get to decide trade policies. And we, we 
are now supporting and, and, and running on the precedent of uh, affordable health care. And we're, we're following the arguments of the socialists around. I was concerned that we wouldn't be able to throw off the yoke of, of tyranny in different versions of government socialism. I am convinced after today that 80% of our fellow citizens don't want to. 80% of our fellow citizens, as you saw, you know, the, the, the self-loathing white socialist Oak Parker marching with Flager, chanting talking points from the 1960 Communist Party with no definition of what exactly stops the killing on the South Side is the morality of the individual on the South Side. What stops is the, is it, maybe we should stop funding the absolute outrageous behavior of a certain sector of our society while pretending they're entitled to it. And you know, it, as a kid that grew up, I was born in the late 60s, this thing about white privilege that no one talks about, was it white privilege when I went to college in the, in the 80s that colleges had a, had a mandatory percentage or number of, of people they took because of color, because of race? See, to me, the racist in this argument is the socialist is the pretend white Oak Park liberal. You're looking at a certain section of people and you're saying you're not good enough to compete on on a fair level field. You need extra whatever, extra points, extra money. You you can't have a test that's as hard as as the white guy. I, my generation, if you grew up after government started tinkering, tinkering with outcomes of, of economy of social, when they started social engineering, I'm the one that suffered the most. I'm born in the wrong class. I'm born in the one that is that is really has all of the rules. The punitive against us is the Caucasian. We're the ones that that lose points on tests, on civil service tests. We're the ones that are subjected to no, no, no. We got too many white guys at this college. We need some minorities. We're the ones that are facing the discrimination. So the irony, the schizophrenia well, too, Sean. Well, let's be honest. But what they are, what, they, what, it's, what you're on. talking about is unnecessary discrimination. But wait a minute. There is government. an assumption that the college is discriminating versus what the results are of the tests. There is an assumption that the city is discriminating for the firemen, for the policemen versus the assumption. They are the ones that are the bigots and the racists. They just want to be in control of the bigotry and the racism. That's the difference. Beware the social engineer. That's the one who really looks at black people and says, you're not good enough. I look at you equal. I just want to compete fairly. This is the Liberty Hour each and every Sunday night. Give us a call if you care to participate. 312-642-5600. Don't hit the table. (laughs) I don't know what we're doing about. This is the Liberty Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM560, The Answer. Everybody knows this is the Liberty Hour, your terrestrial think tank for liberty every Sunday night, 8 to 9. How do you like that, McBeth? I shortened it for you. I know you don't like when I go through the whole litany of how we dissect Nobody and discuss the talking points. People love it, baby. And uh, I'll tell you another thing people love. They love when Trump recognizes and infuriates the frauds, the socialists, and and and, and Going back to that first segment, what is the what is the challenge of the fraud of the huckster of the socialist, and that is to capture the identity of a of of a party with virtue that the only the Democrats have what the virtue to recognize, to understand, to mitigate, and to right the racism that people have faced for hundreds of years. Forget about the fact 
that we are no longer talking about the individuality of each one of us, that we are now automatically assuming everything is set up with a certain perspective and a certain agenda. So how do we fix that racism? I got an idea. We'll implement reverse racism to make it all right. That's how we're going to do it. It's kind of the same thing as Trump with the trade war. I hate how you treat your people, so I'll treat my people worse. So that's that's one of the and one of the things I do like about Trump. There's a couple things. Like I like when he really rails against the waste, fraud, and abuse of NATO. Um, I don't like when he mixes it up and doesn't articulate the fact we underwrite also the loans to these countries in the IMF Bank. But that's way in the weeds, as Bruce Wolf likes to say. But one of my favorite um, people that he argues with, because to me. He dominates when he argues with these particular people who have this false virtue is Elizabeth Warren and Elizabeth Warren for anybody with an IQ back when the housing crisis happened. She was the original Bernie Sanders before Bernie was so widely known. She was the original communist pretending to be a socialist, hoping that she could run as a Democrat. And in the housing crisis, her and her husband made a fortune with their connections to banks buying and flipping foreclosures. She made two and a half, three million dollars. Nobody talks about that anymore. As she at the same time she was in Congress railing against how terrible these banks were. So I do love the irony. I do love the fact that she somehow slipped under this virtue shield and she was one of the favorites of the socialists. And one of the and things now she's been pulled into literally a circus. And and she was because she hid in the uh in the true sanctuary of communism, academia. And she not only hid in academia for the majority of her youth, she did it as an Indian. And when asked, boy, you sure do look like the Dutch boy on the paint can. Are you sure you're an Indian? She then said her gam-gam told her she had high cheekbones. Now, for Democrats, that made sense. But for those of us with an IQ over 62, that was upsetting. Because there is no way ever she is an Indian. And one of the things I enjoyed about Trump was his wit and his willingness. You never know, genetically, Well, Trump made her an offer. You want to make a cool million or designate it to your your charity? Play what he said if you have it. I'm going to get one of those little kids. And in the middle of the debate, (laughs) when she proclaims that she's of Indian heritage because her mother said she has high cheekbones. (laughs) That's her only evidence, that her mother said she had high cheekbones. We should say that Native American, we don't, you know, not Indians from India. Oh, come we're just, on. Yeah, well, you know, we should be. Uh, All right. I'll tell you what. We should the, be the ones that the Apaches killed were Native Americans, but the Apaches we're going to call Indians. All right. Fair enough. We will take that little kit and say, but we have to do it gently. Because we're in the Me Too generation, so we have to be very gentle. And we will very gently take that kit. He's hitting everything. And we will slowly toss it, hoping it doesn't hit her and injure her arm. <laughs> Even though it only weighs probably two ounces. Sidetrack, but that's okay. And we will say, Maybe two and a half. I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity, paid for by Trump. Third person, love it. If you take the test and it shows you're an Indian, you know. See, I love that. Not just because now, when he says paid for by Trump, he can shift it off to one of his uh, shill companies. I'll but laugh I if love she it. wins on a technicality and she had a great-grandfather from India, and she's actually part Indian. Oh, ah, look at you. See? I'll tell you what. See? If you didn't have that pot belly, you could be a lawyer. Pot All right. belly. I got a whole... Yeah, please. I could kettle. soak my feet in your belly button. Let's go to Mike on the north side. 
Mike, how are you? Another guy built like a teamster. Hey, good uh, good good afternoon, good evening, guys. Whatever, whatever. Um, I talked to a I talked to a friend of mine, a priest who listens to WIND, huh. and he said, Sean, that you qualify for every hour you spend on the radio with Bruce Bruce Wolf. That's five hundred years taken off your sentence in purgatory. Thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. I do I love him, though, you. Mike. I do. I really do. I love him. He's he's a great yeah. guy. And Elizabeth off the radio, Warren, go ahead. Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, and Nancy Pelosi. That's the party of grumpy old menopause. Um, I wanted to say to McDuff there, you're wrong about Indians. At the time Columbus discovered America, what we call India was called Hindustan. The reason oh. he called them Indians cause, is because he called them Untahinta Indios, Indios, a people of God, because they tra- talked about the great father in the sky. Nice. So he was calling them the people of God. Had nothing so to do with So it's okay to call them Indians. Don't correct my caller. Nothing to do in India. Don't correct my caller. It had nothing to do with the fact that he thought he yeah. was in the East Indies. Uh, please, don't no, ever. No, because. Go ahead. No, because because India at the time was called Hindustan. Right. The if he East thought Indies he was there, he would have called them India. Hindus. I would have called them savages okay. running around in loincloths hitting each other in the head with rocks, for God's sakes. All of a sudden, they're the virtuous. They were slaughtering each other. I mean, I love how we rewrite history for the kids. Okay. I mean. Now, I want to talk about Father Faker. You know, oh. He says he wants more resources for his neighborhood. Well, if I'm not mistaken, the police resources they chase out. Also, if I'm not mistaken, if you get a B average in a Chicago public high school, which isn't hard, you're guaranteed two years of a junior college in Chicago. And any public high school graduate gets preferential hiring treatment for this, for city jobs, including the fire department and police department. Of course they do. So they're given everything, they're min- plus link cards, Please. plus plus everything else. They get everything and they waste it. Michael, you go to any other immigrant neighborhood, they've got shops that are open. They don't have empty storefronts. You go there, they've got nothing. My old neighborhood, Melrose four- Park. It's a, Honest to God, it's a thriving. There's not an empty storefront there. There really isn't because no. the people have they have to work because they don't qualify for the scam and if they do they expose themselves right so they, they and then here's the other thing Mike how many of them don't want it how many don't want government don't want assistance you know I have to go back I was told this uh, by my sister in law at, at a party oh I slipped the toes anyway about white privilege and you know what's funny Mike I no one not a lot of people know my personal story my mother raised me. My old man, they got divorced when I was a kid. They were fighting all the time. My old man didn't pay. My mother qualified for all that stuff. Do you know that? Qualified for it all. The rent assistance, the food stamps, the whole nine yards. We're living on top of a garage. Do you know she wouldn't take a nickel? Not a nickel. And I remember being a little kid. We'd go to the store. She had this little red thing in her hand. And she, whatever she made, she worked three jobs. She would click it, and it would figure out the tax so she wouldn't be embarrassed by going up to the cashier and not having enough money. And I, I wanted juicy fruit one time. We couldn't swing it. It was an extra quarter, for God's sakes. But the idea that all of a sudden people look at you and they say, ah, look at this guy, he's white. That's white privilege. And at the same sense, when we were going to college in the 80s, that's when the implementation of affirmative action through education was at its strongest. And they were, they were excluding how many white kids just to hit their minority counter so they got extra money from the state. You know what the real equality is? What if all of these applications had no no question about race? That's how you do it. 
No question about race. Take your test. Take your shot. We do who, who, who does the best. That's how it should be. But you have a society geared towards the failures. And they use that failure as a weapon against the, the people who succeed. How long before the people who succeed say, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. Anybody who's ever earned a living and you haven't made $50 million, but you've made between 100000 and 500000 it isn't worth it. The way you're taxed, the way they take the money away from you, you're the pigeon funding everything. Because the Pritzkers of the world sit on their derriere in two love seats, and they've, they've got enough accounts to figure out how, to, how not to pay taxes. The rest of us pay all the taxes. Because the income tax that, that they hide and they manipulate, and the Republicans do it too, that's less than 50% of the taxes you pay. Every time you buy anything, you're paying taxes on top of taxes you don't even know anymore. I'll tell you, Mike, it's frustrating. The system is frustrating because it demonizes the wrong people. And when you promote and pay for the worst kind of people, guess what you get? More of them. And you're going to march and you're going to do what? Is any of this about the actual people in those neighborhoods, the ones who are killing each other? What are you doing about that? Taking away guns. They don't care about the gun laws. This just in. Southside gangbangers don't care what the law is. This is the Liberty Hour each and every Saturday or Sunday night. Wow. We should be on Saturdays, too. What is too. wrong with you? It was a premonition, not a slip. We'll be back after this. Give us a call, 312-642-5600. No. Liberty Hour. Call Sean now at 312-642-5600. This is the Liberty Hour, your terrestrial think tank for liberty. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I like to leave the studio and sometimes in between, you know, in, in, in the breaks. And the other, the other people are so very organized. They're like Dan Prof. They got all their letters out, you know, and there's a bunch of them. They're talking about the show. And I walk out and the girl goes, yeah, they have stuff written down. Why would you write stuff? I, anyway, I don't know. They, uh, the girl goes, you know, I could hear you yelling through the glass. And it's hard to explain in the commercial yeah, break. That's part of the that's, that's part of the lobby experience here at WIND. I don't have a party. You understand? Sorry, I, have, I have no party. I don't have a party anymore. It's extremely infuriating. You had a party this afternoon. You called me but, yeah, from yeah, your party this afternoon. It's extremely frustrating to realize that what we're arguing about is either the outright Marxist socialism of the Democrat Communist Party or... The Fabian manipulated uh, Keynesian soiree of Trumponomics and facade illusion of success. I mean, this is the, these are the choices. And you know what's funny is, as a kid, I love the idea. In this country, I read all the books. You know, now they call it the men who made America, and you talk about the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers, Carnegie, Carnegie. Yeah. You, you know, Carnegie's fast. They're all fascinating dudes. Yes, all of them dirt poor. Do you realize that? Most of them, yeah. Third point. I'm not talking about Rockefeller's kids who passed away on the hooker. Right. I'm talking about the guy who really built the fortune. And you and you look at the fact that it's only through the venue of true liberty and property rights, and it's only an ideology. It's one, and it's called capitalism. And when you bastardize it in the name of of righteousness, of social engineering, you're no better than the communists who are marching with Flager. You just pretend you are. You just tell yourself you are. But you're really the same. 
you just have different ideologies of of right and wrong. But you are that one. You're the you're the Benito Mussolini. Remember when he said every anarchist is a baffled dictator? No, I don't because that was in the thirties. All right. Well, he liked it. Every anarchist is a baffled dictator. <laughs> and you want to know something? It, 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 it's, every, it's everybody. Everybody is a baffled dictator. There is but a small few of us who say, you know what I want? I don't want to tell anybody anything. I don't want to force anybody into doing anything. In fact, I think we all should truly, truly practice this phony equality you're telling me we need and start from the fact of everything is fair. Every penalty is fair. Everything is right. See, that's, that's, that's what, 5% of the people? So when people go, how come you don't go to the Republican uh, Tea Party think tank in Carroll Street? Because it's not, you're not. You're national populists. You're lying to yourself. And it's rare that I get the occasion to talk to some of the people who are really interwoven with the higher echelon of our government in one Stephen Moore. And, and the reason I like Stephen Moore is that for eight years, when we were fighting the Marxist, the Olinsky light, the fraud, the kind of ideology that turned Chicago and Cook County into a sewer. And then you could talk about Illinois and the kind of frauds when the senators are married to lobbyists like little Dick Durbin. It's just you, you, you look at someone trapped in here, tethered by love and affection to your family. Uh, you have to look outside of Illinois and you find these Austrian economists of all kinds. Now, most of them are dead, right? The guy that uh, Dan Prof named his dog after Hayek is long dead. Milton Friedman died. Brilliant. Probably the best with the public. Von Mises is not talked about. Rothbard is not talked about. So you have guys who, who pay homage to these true capitalists and true libertarians. And when I say libertarian, I don't mean the libertarian party. No, 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 no. I don't want to be affiliated with pay them. homage. Pay homage. No, an homage is something that you do. I'll pay whatever I want to pay. You just hit the buttons. You're going to owe now, somebody some homage. I got to talk to Stephen Moore and it was about time. And you were right. Because this is the second, second or third time I interviewed him. Uh, second, I believe. Second, yeah. And I, you know, I listen, they come in and they're like, listen, this is the morning show. Don't break it. Be nice. <laughs> so I thought yeah, I was you're nice. supposed to be uh, cheery and happy and stuff. In a but I got show. to finally, finally talk to this well, guy. I'll never see me on a morning show. And I asked him two very good questions. You did. Right. So play the first one because I want the people to hear it. Oh, we didn't actually get audio from either of those two. We got these two instead. I read your books for many years when I was at the Commodity Exchange. And I remember <laughs> you used to be an Austrian economics expert who believed in unilateral yep. free trade and i don't remember reading where this tit-for-tat <laughs> tariff plan that we've come up with now seemed to work can you point to a place where it's worked or, or or a place where we didn't turn out like venezuela can i just say every time Moore gets nailed on anything anytime anything is contradictory boy does he find it funny He's got the giggle. It there. is just a laugh riot. Well, you know why he's, he was reading all the time, and uh, he's got the, you know he's like Beaker from the Muppets. He was a nerd. He didn't go out with the guy, so he was he he was reading all the time. So he he, he knows he, I got him. He does make more than one sound. He knows I got him. But go ahead. Wait, I hate when people use my own words against me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, touche. Look, I am look. I'm a free trade guy, and uh, you, you need to get our laugh on your show, by the way, because he he will say exactly what you just said that you never use trade, uh, uh, you know, Deflect. as a weapon. Greatest compliment I've ever gotten, right there. Deflect. Art Laffer is the true guy. Lafford. Be- the Lafford curve. Yes, he's the true guy behind Reaganomics, which, yes. by the way, spawned the yuppie. No one talks about it because there will never be a Trump yuppie, right? You've got these phony cook numbers, and I could tear them apart eight ways to Tuesday and show you how they're a total lie, total facade. Um, 
But that is truly the greatest compliment I could ever get from a guy who I respect. I disagree with him right now. But if you listen to his answer, and we'll play it when we get back, he knows he's wrong, and he knows that I got him. I love it. This is the Liberty Hour, where I've got uh, Stephen Moore in the corner, and like Jake LaMotta, I'm not letting you out, baby. We'll be back after these messages. 312-642-5600. I do appreciate that about Sean, and I love him for it. You're listening to The Liberty Hour with Sean Thompson. Get on the line with Sean by calling 312-642-5600. Is The Liberty Hour each and every Sunday night your terrestrial the think gun, tank Thompson. for liberty? That's all right. I'm excited. You jumped the gun. I'm excited. I got Stephen Moore in the corner, baby. And I'll tell you what, if he had a, if he had a coach, he'd have thrown in the towel. I don't know why, but I just had a mental image of you pulling duct tape off a roll. <laughs> great, great. Grab your shovels and tarps, ladies I and gentlemen. I had him in the corner. You know what? I've been t- Because I've been rallying against him for a year. Yeah. Because it's hard for somebody who, who a capitalist. Well, he did such an about face. Somebody who, who enjoyed being surrounded by his fellow man arguing for freedom and liberty and property rights. And I'm disgusted by guys who I like lying. I'm sorry, but it's lying. And here's how he knows... I proved to you, at least, maybe you're the only one, but I, and I also got propped a little bit. I proved that he knows what he's doing, and he's doing it anyway. Yes. And that's, wh- that's when it's, it's we're conscious... all involved in a swindle here, yes. boys and girls. All right, play it, will you, please? Look, I am, look I'm a free trade guy, and uh, you, you need to get Art Laffer on your show, by the way, because he, he will say exactly what you just said, that you never use trade uh, uh, you know, as a weapon. Um, but... Uh, look, my feeling is the, the optimal outcome, right, is everybody has no tariffs. Um, now, you might say, well, we're better off if we don't impose tariffs, even if they impose tariffs on us. I'm not so sure I, I believe that. I think we can use our leverage to to expand American markets so we can sell more wheat and cotton and we can sell more of our uh, bourbon and blue jeans and, and computer technologies and, and the fact that other countries are stealing them from us and they're, they're also imposing big, Big restraints. I mean, the restraints in some of these countries in terms of Americans selling stuff uh, abroad is tough. Now, I'll make one other point, which is... Before he makes that one other point, could I just interject something? Yeah, go ahead, He talks about them stealing things. Do you think putting tariffs on items is going to make it more or less likely that they are copyright, that they are are copied? Exactly. And and there's copyright infringement. And do you know something else, Macbeth? You know why he named all that, all those industries? Yeah. Because those are the ones that are already being destroyed. Duh. Already hit. Go ahead, Liam. You know, I think what all three of us would like to see is, you know, no tariffs, you know, that the countries can trade across borders pretty freely. But, uh, you know, when I was over at the White House last week, some of the some of the more protectionist folks over there, I won't mention any names, were saying, well, Peter you know, even if we had total free trade, the auto industry wouldn't be able to succeed, and therefore we have to protect them. I'm not for that. I, I think the seal tariffs are stupid. I think the auto <laughs> tariffs are stupid. If you're going to impose a tariff on a country, impose just a uniform tariff on everything. You don't pick, you know, industry winners and losers. And I think that's where Trump has made a, a big mistake, because, you know, just as I predicted on your show, what, uh, six weeks ago, Dan, that the steel tariffs would be counterproductive, I think yeah. that's proving to be true. Yeah, you know, well, we're no actually question. losing more jobs as a result. No, there's no question. Now, that's not what he's been saying all over television. Right. If, if, okay, so if the steel tariffs are stupid and the auto tariffs are stupid, what are you talking about? Because he's, he's smart enough to understand that not only should a collective few not pick winners and losers, but they shouldn't have the authority to implement 
and to tinker with macroeconomics at this scale. And what he also knows is that already these tariffs have added about 6,000, 5,800 and change to imports to um, vehicles that outsell the UAW made media. You know, I know you're a pro union guy. I know you like American cars, and that's your choice. I I, a, I respect I, you what for do you that. Mean I'm a pro union no. guy. Well, I know you like Fords. Yes, and so does my father. I get it. But that's your I choice. I like Fords. But that's your choice. Yeah. And I don't think that they should coerce me, who I don't like anything union made. So to, don't buy it. To but you've now taken what I like to buy, and you've added a penalty of six thousand dollars. Should I not? want the UAW-made product. That, Sean, is because you are not a good American. <laughs> Apparently you're right. Forget about the fact that mine's made in a factory that employs Americans that are not in the union, by yeah. the way, that keep their job because they're actually good at it. Yeah. They get paid different because who's a better producer, and you incentivize people doing things well. You know, capitalism. In the late 90s, BMW thought tariffs were coming. They thought there was going to be some sort of trade war. So they started building plants here, and in North Carolina... I believe uh, there is a plant that, I think it's in North Carolina, that builds every uh, X5 sold around the world. Yeah, and you So know, are, are we then going to penalize our own? Well, this is a buying off votes. Come and this on. Is, this, is, this, is, this is wrapping patriotism, tyranny and patriotism, right? Wrap force in a flag. You could do anything to anybody, and we've had numerous countries prove that. But what this really is is an admission that the American product cannot compete. What this is, ladies and gentlemen, is an admission that your actual product can't compete on a f- fair playing field. I think this it's is an admission same, that that's what they believe. Well, this is the same type of bigotry and racism that says one race can't compete with another. It's, you see what I mean? I'm showing you that these two philosophies are interwoven, that this is a philosophy of only these morons, these, these, these nerds living in Caligula in Washington, D.C., they get to decide. This is not republicanism, and I don't mean the party. I mean a republic. We have representatives. The idea that Peter Navarro, who is nobody, and that Liza Minnelli lookalike, uh, Steve Mnuchin, get to collaborate with our president, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're playing tit-for-tat tariffs? It's insane to me. And by the way, this excuse, this is a manufactured excuse after the fact that Kudlow orchestrated that we're going to use tariffs to take away tariffs. And as I said, I don't know if, if we have more clips, but I, it, it, this is the equivalent. I'm going to use fire to put out the it's fire. It's insane. Stop hitting your kid, George, or I'm going to go home and beat the hell out of mine. That's the same so Then we thing. both win. That's the same philosophy as Trumponomics, man. I'll tell you what. And what it shows no, you. No, no, you don't get to do that. Isn't that trademarked? What? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I know. You got me. Listen, he says it because I say it. Joe Walsh yeah, taking right. my taglines. Yeah, right. Do we? Ha- oh, we don't have time. No. When we get back, I, I got callers online. I'll get to you, and I want to get to you. You got some very good points, but I also want to play the second question where I got him again. It's, no it's the TKO. Hey, when we get back, this is the Liberty Hour, and damn it, it's a fast hour. We'll be back after these messages. Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM560, The Answer. This is the Liberty Hour. See, I waited for you to point that big chubby finger at me. Finally. Each and every Sunday night. And this Sunday night is special to me because I get to replay an opportunity I had earlier in the week 
to finally get my hands around. Not unless you get to it. And not in the hazard way of Stephen Moore. Go ahead, play the second question. Peter Navarro, I, I bought it. He, too, was a free trader, and then he flipped somewhere along the line. Yeah, yep, my yep, question to yep. you is, where did Peter Navarro really succeed with his ideology? Is he, was he a hedge fund trader? Was he a, is he a self-made billionaire? How did he make his money that we now, the entire country, are led by one Peter Navarro? I'm curious. <laughs> well, I think Navarro is somebody who uh, he's written several best-selling books, but Death by China is one of his, you know, his uh, major books, and uh, it appealed to uh, uh, a certain guy in New York named Donald J. Trump, and the two have been, you know, close intellectual allies for a long time. Um, I don't know how Navarro makes money. I think he's mainly just a, uh, you know, a speaker and a, and a author and a college professor. But you know, I will say this, and, and you know, look, I, I disagree with Navarro about, it, about a lot. But I think he was sort of forward-looking in, in terms of where China is today and what he predicted, you know, six or seven years ago. China is becoming a tyrannical country. They are not in, in direction of freedom. They are uh, becoming more central planning, more state ownership, more militaristic. And so you know, are we. I think in some ways, what? So are we. So we, <laughs> good point. Although, you know, we, I don't think we need to spend $750 billion a year on our military, so you're right about that. Uh, but uh, that's a, that's a uh, an interesting point. I'll have to think about that. But, you know, I think uh, that Phil Graham had it be- said that's when, you know, he said, when the, the lion lies down with the lamb, I want to be the lion, not the lamb. That's the excuse. So there's a lot that went on in that little segment. Oh, man. I mean, there really is. Good number thing we one, saved it till we only had two minutes left. Number one, my point wasn't that had he made money somehow through using his his knowledge, right? That would even be justified. That wouldn't be justified either. No, we as a country, there is no we. By the way, there are these individual businesses that are partaking in import export. These are the people you're harming. These are the people you're tinkering, tinkering with. Not only that, they are providing us, the consumer, with what we want. If they weren't, we wouldn't be buying it. They wouldn't be succeeding. You now have government putting restraints and hurdles into the free economy. And who's doing it? Somebody who wrote a book, and they didn't even tell you how many copies he sold. Peter Navarro isn't qualified to take over the American macro economy. And neither is Donald Trump. And an election doesn't give somebody in this country the power to do so. We well, need to get our government back. I don't want to be a slave anymore, brother. What's really important is is a perspective on history. So if you look back to Reagan, we need to know that Donald Trump has a perspective on history. You know, all the rhetoric you see here, the thousand points of light. What the hell was that, by the way? Thousand points of light. What did that mean? Does anyone know? I know one thing. Make America great again, we understand. Putting America first, we understand. Thousand points of light. I never quite got that one. Try to... Say, what the hell is that? that? Was Bush Has though. anyone ever figured that one That's out? True. Sorry. Uh, and it was put out by a Republican, wasn't it? By the way, it was put out of a Republican of which you attended the private booth in the he, 1988 conventions. He, That's he George never, Bush the first with the funny socks. He never really got what that whole thousand points of light thing was all about, there, Sean. Well, listen, this is what he uh. this is what he's good at, and this is what this is the one that brought him to the dance. Just attack and make fun of. It's all posturing. Because when you've got a posturing bunch of people now. Telling me that it's okay for a few guys to decide what gets traded in the country, you've 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 deceived us all. And the, those are your choices. You can have the outright Marxism of the Democrat, or you can have the manipulated socialism of the Republican today. You're fired. In either case, you're be. You know, I listen to people. I need a good leader. Our leaders. You realize this is a country. This is Fourth of July. Look week. in the mirror. This is a country where you're the leader. You. 
They're supposed to be the follower. They represent you. They don't rule you. And you've gotten too comfortable with being ruled. You're used to being the slave. Now, who's fighting for liberty? We do. Liberty Hour every Sunday night, 8 to 9 in our new time. We'll be back next week. I have to go home. I have to go home. I have to go home. I have to go home.